Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. We are currently in stage two of our COVID-19 response where the church building is open for you to join us in person for worship. However, we will continue to broadcast the service live at 10 a.m. each week. Now, here's this week's message. Be here this morning. I have uh, been upstairs with the, uh, with the kids this morning, and then I got to run down here and be with you guys, and so it's been a full day. I'm grateful for it. Uh, Pastor Brian is... Uh, away with some family, got a, got a chance to see some family he's not seen in a while, so I'm grateful he got to go, and, and uh, Pastor Rocky the same, he got to be with his family, much needed for him, and so it is uh, the newbies, me and Scott, trying to hold down the fort, uh, and so we're, 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 we're set off the fire alarm this morning. It's not been, it's not been too bad in here, but uh, anyway, uh, not been bad. We are, we, are, uh, we are coming to a brand new series uh, about Christmas. Christmas is my favorite season. I'm not going to lie to you. My lights have been up since just after, uh, just after Halloween. Uh, we, 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 we don't joke around in the McCrary house, and I know some of you are the, the Thanksgiving boo, boo birds, like I have Thanksgiving. We moved the nativity so we could do Thanksgiving in my house uh, because we like it, man. We like Christmas. We love it, and so we, we enjoy it. It is one of my favorite seasons. My kids are starting to enjoy it. Uh, yesterday in my neighborhood, the, for some reason, the the, the fire department came by and they had Santa Claus on top of a fire engine and, and they were throwing out some candy canes and having a good time and my kids were stoked. So they're getting to see some, some great things in this season. I'm glad because it's been a tough season. It's been hard. This season, above all, we need Christmas, man, a season of hope, a season of joy. So we're starting a series called Behold, the Savior Comes. <laughs> a little ironic because the passage we're looking at, Isaiah 7, today, if you got your Bibles or your phones or whatever, Isaiah 7 is where we're going to park for uh, the better part of the day. <laughs> in the NIV, the word behold is not in that text. In just about every other version, it is. Uh, but it is, not in the, it is not in the NIV. So uh, it, is, it is there, but it is not there uh, in, in essence. And so we, we will look at it nonetheless, because behold, the word carries with it the idea of surprise. That's something that um, was supposed to happen or maybe even couldn't happen, did. It did happen. Behold, this happened. And so we're going to be looking at this today. We're going to be looking at this for the next couple of weeks as we look at it. Behold, often comes, that word, behold, often comes before things like prophecies. There's a lot of prophecies in the Bible. We're going to look at one today. Prophecies come often just before hard times hit, tough times. They're intended to give hope during a specific outcome. During this time, they're, they're, they're intended for that. Prophecies are intended to give hope or to cause a change to happen. Something needs to happen. Prophecies don't just exist to exist. They exist to spur moments, to spur something to happen. Some prophecies are intended to bring hope. Hope because of a sovereign God who is in control. A.W. Tozer he rightly said this. He said, while it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes there is a God who hasn't surrendered his authority. God is in control. This season we need to be reminded of that more than any. That God has not lost control. 
despite what's going on in the world, despite what's going on specifically in our country, God's not lost control at all. He is right where he should be. We are right where we should be. And from God's point of view, if God said it, then it is done. It's going to happen. The very words of God create. That's what John 1 was about. That's what, that's what Genesis 1 is about. The words of God. God doesn't even have to get up. He doesn't have to stand up. His words create. So when he says something, it's done. When he speaks, whatever he says is going to come into being. So it doesn't, it, it doesn't really matter what I believe on any front. If God said it, it's going to happen. And so, when it comes to something like prophecy, it's best to get on God's side, to look at it, to see it, and enjoy the fact that your God is in control. He's in control. That's why this prophecy we're looking at today exists. Because you see, at the core of who we are, we have trust issues, all of us. Trust issues. Starts early. My sons don't trust me for anything. I do nothing but put food on their table and take care of them. And they don't trust me for anything. If I say like we, we, were, we were in their room the other day, uh, Lewis was on the top bunk and I said, buddy, just jump off to me. He's got bunk beds. I said, just jump, dude, I'll catch you. He's terrified, I'm not gonna catch him. Like I'm not, like I'm gonna drop him. Four years old, doesn't trust me. I've never dropped that kid. I've hit him on some things accidentally, but I've never dropped him. I hit Henry, one time we had, a, we had a weird house that had like a vaulted ceiling, but over here it was not vaulted, and I was throwing Henry up in the air real high where it was vaulted, and then I got too far under, and I jacked him in the head on the, on the, on the ceiling one time when he was about, oh, he was months, he wasn't even a year, he was months old, and so it was a, it was a bad deal. So Kayla, she's got opinions about all that, but anyway... It's very easy uh, to have trust issues. We, we, we struggle with this because at the core, it's who we are. But in reality, we trust very easily. Take the season, for instance. We, we trust. Something is feeding your information, and it's feeding your, 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 your thought processes. It may be something you're hearing. It may be something you've experienced. And so you're, you're leaning on that to, to, to have a thought process. And so it's dictating what you trust. And I, I you know, the, the, this, in the midst of this pandemic, there are some who are just paralyzed with fear. Just paralyzed. It's all they can think about and talk about. It's dictating what they do and dictating how they, how they, how they behave and how they interact. And, and it's really dictating their joy or no joy. But then there's other people who are just cavalier, man, like nothing's going on. Just having a big time, man. Just glad to be alive. So you have these, the, the, this juxtaposition where we all kind of fundamentally to some degree all have some kind of knowledge of what's going on collectively in the globe. This is kind of an interesting time where as a global community, we all have somewhat of the same experience. So we all have somewhat of a thought process here, but yet we have these people with different reactions. And it really comes down to whatever's feeding their thought process, whether it's information or if it's an experience or what, what it may be. There's trust. Their trust is in something there, and it's, it's dictating how they behave, 
what they do, the decisions they make, is what they're placing their trust in. So whatever the sovereign purpose behind this season is that we're all in, one thing is going to clearly rise to the top, I think, before it's all over, and it's this question. Do we believe that God is in control? Do we? Fundamentally, do I believe that? Or do I believe he's up there biting his nails and shrugging his shoulders and trying to get a hold of this the same as everybody else on the planet is? What we find, interestingly enough, in Isaiah 7 is this is exactly what prompted the prophecy we find here. It prompted the same kind of thought process. It's a different situation, but fundamentally the same in the fact that, that people have to make decisions. And to start at the very beginning, I guess we need to go all the way back to the beginning so that we can have some kind of, of, of all be on the same page of what's going on in this text. Sometimes these prophetical books like, like Isaiah can be a little bit tough. So let me just rewind all the way back to, to the beginning. And, and God decided he wanted to have a people and he wanted to, to show his glory through, through people. And he had a specific people and he, he used a guy named Abraham to start this process of having a people that were about him and displayed his glory to a lost world. So he started with Abraham, and Abraham had a family, and that family got so big that it became a nation, and that nation was supposed to, to show the glory of God to the, to the world. Eventually, it became known as Israel. And Israel was to show God to people. Except the problem with Israel was it was made up of people. And people struggle to show the glory of God. The only things on the planet that do. Trees, rocks, your cocker spaniel, those all glorify God and do exactly what they're supposed to do. People struggle. And so there they were, struggling to, to, to show this. And eventually they struggled so much, and they loved themselves so much, that eventually this, 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 this kingdom, which was not big, I mean, if you, if, you, if you struggle with the belief in God, just always look at Israel. Israel should not exist. Landlocked, landlocked state should not exist, should have been overtaken a billion times and isn't. It's amazing. If you like history, it's a great study. There they are. But they get in a little bit of a rift just after Solomon was king. You may know the name Solomon. Solomon was king. They get in a little bit of a rift, and they kind of separate. And there's Israel, and in this little itty-bitty tiny kingdom called Judah. They rip apart. They divide. They have a civil war, and it divides their country. And now they have this bigger country called Israel, a little country called Judah. And here in Isaiah 7, Judah, the little itty-bitty country that has the, the, the city of Jerusalem in it, is being ruled and run by a king who really has no concern for God at all. His name is Ahaz. And Ahaz could care less about God. This is a story, if you don't think leadership matters to a collective people, it does. Substantially. So Ahaz. So there's a lot going on at this point in history uh, because of this. So this point in history, they've been separated for a while now. They, they, have a they have a tensuous relationship, much like a big brother and a little brother. There's a little bit of tension between Israel and Judah. And then there's a lot of these little tiny kingdoms all right there in that Middle Eastern world. 
But then there's this big, giant empire called Assyria. And they are mean, they are wicked, and they care nothing about what stands in their path, their path for global expansion, nothing. And they have their eyes set on Egypt. They want to go and they want Egypt, so they're going to go, they're eventually going to blow across these little tiny kingdoms who are all fighting with each other. And those kingdoms know, they know that Assyria is out there, they've heard tell of all this, they are scared, they are scared out of their minds of these people. That's why they're fighting with each other because they're trying to get a leg up on the other kingdom so they can be a little bit stronger when Assyria comes knocking at the door. And so what's happening in this situation in Isaiah 7 is that Israel and a little country called Aram have teamed up and they're going to go get Judah and try to take over Judah so they can get all their resources and get Jerusalem namely and they can have that as a, as a stronghold as well so they can bolster their life to, 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 to beat the Assyrians or at least maintain a little bit during the Assyrians. So this is the backdrop for which God sends Isaiah to talk to Ahaz. Isaiah is a prophet. He's been around for a while. He's been around for a couple of kings now. He's, he's influenced and talked to a few kings. And here Isaiah comes to talk to Ahaz. And he tells Ahaz this. In Isaiah chapter 7, verses 5 through 7, it says this. Aram, Ephraim, Remaliah, sons, have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the sons of Tabeel king over it. And this is fantastic here. Yet, this, uh, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. That's a prophecy in and of itself. It's immediate prophecy. He says it's not gonna happen. Nothing's gonna overtake you don't worry about it. Can you imagine that? God, God tells Isaiah, tell him this, man. Tell him, don't fret on this. Trust in this right here. It's not going to happen. This is the outcome. Judah's gonna be fine. But Isaiah adds one more thing on verse nine. He says this to, to Ahaz specifically. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand. Corporately, Judah's gonna be fine. You, on the other hand, are not. Your well-being is tied to this word called faith. Faith. So this is, this is your job. So, so as a nation, Judah's fine. But for Ahaz, it's personal. What are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with this, Ahaz? It's very consistent with God. He, 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 will, he will always have a people. He will always have a people. That's not an issue in the Bible. He will always have a people. Individually, though, you and I are responsible for our own faith, for our own response to God. You see, faith is personal not corporate. Faith is personal, it's not corporate. This brings us to today. In the last eight or nine months, we've struggled a little bit. It's been hard. It's been hard on all of us. 
It's been difficult on everybody. But mostly, I'll tell you one thing it's been hard on, it's been hard on churches. I talk to uh, my friends and other people in ministry, ask them how it's going there in that part of the country or whatnot. I got, I got a buddy that's in Manhattan. I've got a, a couple of friends out in California. And, and I, when, when, when speaking with them and talking with them, ask them a little bit about what's going on with you guys to see if it's anywhere the same. And it is. It's just this this hard time where, where people don't know what to do and it's, it's a very difficult time. People need to be careful. That is an absolute fact. You need to be careful if you're at high risk. But there are other people who are living their lives and just not, not including this part of their life anymore. It's The Power of Habit, right? That's actually a fantastic book. If you've never read it, it's a fantastic book, The Power of Habit. Habits are easily made and once you get into that habit, it is hard to get back to a new habit. You're going to have to be as focused as you were. The quarantine caused us to all kind of focus the same. Now I've got to focus a little differently. Again, I'm not talking about people who've, who have, uh, they need to, 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 to be away. They need because of their health, because of their uh, uh, age or whatnot, that, that's fine. What I'm talking about is people who are, who are just living it up and just have left the church behind. The church is going to be fine. As a whole, the church is going to be fine. The Bible tells us that. The church is going to go on. It, whether the United States is here or not, it's going on and on and on. But you and I are responsible for our own faith, for our own practice, for our own things. Ahaz was not a follower of God, yet he was leading God's people. So here he is, this man who is corporately in charge of this nation that is supposed to be glorifying God, yet he himself cares nothing for God. And God's already told him, Judah's fine, you may not be. But this is where we get God. God is so interesting to me in these passages because to me, I don't know, I, I may have a caricature of God sometimes, but when you see a wicked guy like Ahaz, and he is wicked, man, you'll see it. I'll, I'll read it to you. He's wicked. But yet, God still comes to him, offers him things, offers him op opportunities, options. He's gracious. Always has been, always will be. He says this to him. This brings us to our passage. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 10, it says this. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. So God, God says, ask me. Ask me for a sign. Ask me. But, but Ahaz kind of takes the, the humble approach. He says this, but, but Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. It sounds fantastic. And typically people who are shysters and manipulators always sound fantastic. Here's the deal with Ahaz. His mind's already made up. Ahaz already knows what he's going to do. This passage doesn't tell us about it. I'm going to read you the passage that does. We have a historical record of what happens to Ahaz and what he decided to do. But his mind's already made up. That's why he's being, his mind's made up. He's just trying to be diplomatic. He's a king. He's like a president, right? They just tell you what you want to hear, right? I just got to pave the road here a little bit. He says this. 
Then Isaiah said, and Isaiah wasn't fooled by this. Isaiah's, Isaiah's dealt with shysters and he's dealt with insincere people. He says this, here now, you house of David, is it not enough, or is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? I'm gonna read verse 14 out of the NASB so you can see the word behold. That's the only reason it says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. God asked Ahaz, why don't you give me a sign? Anything you want, anything. He gave him a blank check. I'll prove myself to you. Would that not be awesome? God, God comes down and says, I will prove myself to you in any way you want. Deepest depths, highest heights, whatever you want that will get you to believe in me. Anything. Ahaz says, no, no, you're just, no, I don't want to test the Lord, man. You know, I'm just, no. And Isaiah says, man, we're not doing this. And it's interesting here. It's so interesting because you see a shift. I read right over it, but I'll read it again. You see a shift in verse 10. He says, your God to Ahaz. Ask your God for a sign. Your God. In verse 13, once, he, once, once Ahaz says what he says, verse 13, Isaiah shifts and he says, my God. You don't talk, you don't try the patience of my God. All of a sudden, there's the shift. He was giving him an opportunity to be his God, to, to put his faith in this God, in Yahweh as they called him. Put your faith there and all of a sudden, he shirked that and Isaiah says, all right then, man. Don't try my God. You've been, you push it a little too far. And he says, I'm gonna give you a sign. Behold, a sign for you. A virgin will be, uh, will bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. It says the Lord himself gave you a sign. That word you is actually plural in the Hebrew, it's plural. He's giving the people a sign. And he has had a great opportunity to be part of a prophecy that has impacted all of mankind. He had an opportunity to lean into that prophecy that God was going to become a man and live among us in the person of Jesus Christ. He had an opportunity to be a part of that and God was allowing that. Even though he's wicked, God was saying, man, come on. You know why? Because God's not scared of the wicked. He's not scared of your sin or my sin. He's inviting you in. Come on. He invited Ahaz in. Come on, be a part of this. And Ahaz chose not to. Can I read you the rest of the story? Do you all remember the rest of the story, Paul Harvey, and the rest of the story? Let me read you the rest of the story. Second Chronicles chapter 28, verse 16 says this, and at that time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria for help. Let me tell you what's not a good idea. If you're ever faced with a situation where a country wants to demolish you, don't jump in bed with them, man. But that's what, exactly what he did. He says this, they sent for the help. The Lord has humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had promoted wickedness in Judah and, he, and been most unfaithful to the Lord. And Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him, but he gave him trouble instead of help. 
Ahaz took some of the things from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and from the officials and presented them to the king of Assyria, but that did not help him. Understatement of the year. It did not help him. Bad leaders, all they do is take. He's a rotten dude. He's a rotten dude. It says this. He offered, uh, no, I'm sorry, let me, in, the, in this time of trouble, King Ahaz became even more unfaithful to the Lord. He offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus who had defeated him, for he thought, this is his thought process, since the gods of the kings of Aram have helped them, I will sacrifice to them so that they will help me. But they were his downfall and the downfall of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the furnishings from the temple of God, and he cut them into pieces. And he shut the door of the Lord's temple, and he set up altars in every street corner in Jerusalem. Do you know who he's blaming here? Do you know why he was cutting up pieces of the, of the temple? Of God, it says. Do you know who he's blaming? God. The, the God who had offered him any sign you want, man, to show you're going to be all right. And now all of a sudden, he is blaming God for this. He's setting up altars in every street corner of Jerusalem. In every town in Judah, he built high places and burned sacrifices to, God, to their gods and aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of his ancestors. The other events of, of his reign and all his ways from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And here is the final story. Ahaz rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of Jerusalem. But listen, ready? But he was not placed in the tombs of the kings of Israel. Why? Because the people knew what he had done. He's rotten. He's rotten. He's blaming God for, for, for the problems that he brought upon himself. No trust in the Lord, no trust in God. Ahaz had his mind made up. Before, before Isaiah even walked through his door, his mind was already made up. I'm going to see if Assyria will help me. Desperate times call for desperate measures, I suppose. And so I'm gonna see if they'll help me. And you know what they did? They didn't help him. They weakened him. And they weakened him until finally... It killed him. It cost him. Even the people, they did not bury him the way they buried their other kings in the way of honor. They just threw him in a normal grave. He's not part of our history at all. Ahaz is gone. So that's a lot of history today. But that's part of prophecy. Christ's coming was as much a historical fact as it was spiritual. I mean, here it is, Isaiah is talking about it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before it ever happened. In fact, uh, this is the very first prophecy. This passage is the very first prophecy Matthew brings up when he's talking about the coming of Christ and his account of Christ's birth. He says this as if to say, see, this really happened. You see it? It happened. God, again, is, a, is, is good to his word. So there's a couple things I want you to see today. All that, all that talk to this. I mean, I guess I could just say, don't be like Ahaz, and we can just pray and go home. But I want you to get a couple of things. Christmas is a season to celebrate the truthfulness of God. 
It's a season to celebrate that. God's not hiding things. It's a pretty large book of everything. God's not hiding anything from you at all. Nothing. He is giving you everything you need. What he says will come true. Christ's coming was talked about 400 times in the scriptures. 400. One man, before he ever existed and set foot on the earth as a man, was talked about 400 times. It's bananas. This Bible holds 400 separate things that happened before, before we get to the New Testament that were supposed to come by this man. This man was supposed to be here, and it gave you 400 different things about this man. That's crazy. So crazy, in fact, uh, you may have heard of a man called Lee Strobel. He was an atheist that went to, uh, uh, really was to debunk the, 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 the thought of Christ. As a journalist, he went to debunk the thought of Christ and in, ended up himself getting saved on that journey. There's movies, he's written books, there's movies about him. But he, he, he did some calculations, and it was interesting. He wanted to look at Christ's life, and this is his, this is his uh, uh, what, what he came down to. He, 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 he didn't want to deal with 400 prophecies, because that would take forever, and trying to come up with some kind of calculation for that, is, that would be astronomical. So what he decided to do was take eight, not 400, eight. Eight Prophecies. What are the odds that eight things can be said about a person specifically before they ever existed? Very specific things. What are the odds of that? So he comes up and he, and he decides to tell it like this. If you were to tile, I brought a big tile today because I thought a little tile would be too, too small to see. If you were to tile the entire earth, the land mass of the earth, not the ocean, but the landmass, with a one and a half inch tile. Y'all with me? So we're tiling the whole earth. Hope y'all like tile. Tiling the whole earth with a one and, one and a half inch tile. And on one of those, I were to paint the back of it red and put it down. Bring in a stranger and tell him he's got a lifetime his whole lifetime, to wander the earth, walk wherever he wants to go, but at some point in his lifetime, he's going to have to make a choice for one tile and pick it up. The same odds of that, of him picking up the red-backed tile are the same odds that eight prophecies would come true for one man. Now imagine 400. I don't even know if they make tile that big, right? That'd be some little tile. That's astronomical. But not for a God who's truthful, who creates truth himself, who is truth himself. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says this, every word of God is flawless, and he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Man, Christmas is a season to celebrate the truth of God. If you're a Christian, man, you ought to be flying. He came. I don't know how many of these people were there, but he was there. He came. God with us. 
That's what Emmanuel meant, that God came, the truthfulness of God. Your, your spirits ought to rise at Christmas. I mean, they ought to rise all the time, but especially Christmas, as we are focusing in, and we just sung, oh, come, Emmanuel, that song, and that should make your heart lift, because he came. Second thing is this, Christmas is a season to reestablish your faith. It's, it's a season to reestablish your faith. Isaiah 7 is, a, is an entire passage about a man who would not trust the Lord and leaned into his own understanding. He left the Lord out of the situation and it snowballed into him leaving the Lord out of his life. It cost him dearly. So where are we at today? Where are we at? We have some pretty trying times upon us. Every one of us has been impacted by this season in some way or another. And what is our response? Or better yet, how, has this season brought you to the Lord or away from him? This season, do you feel closer to the Lord or farther from the Lord? The question is a faith question. That question has everything to do with faith. Ahaz was told in verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand. It will overcome you. You will succumb to this. And it's no different for the season we're in right now. If you do not stand in your faith, this season will overtake you. Not the Christmas season, the pandemic season, it will overtake you. Stand in your faith. This word faith found in verse nine is actually, it's used a little over 100 times in scriptures, quite a few times in scriptures. It, 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 it's, it means support. One thing I always tell the kids or the students is that I, I take a stool and, and I'm not a little guy, I haven't missed too many meals. But I trust, man, when I sit on those stools, it's gonna hold me. I trust that. Super embarrassing if it doesn't, right? Like that's enough to make me go to the gym. I put the weight of who I am on, those, on that stool, on that chair. You're doing that to that pew right now. You think it's gonna hold that whole family right there. You just sit right down. Didn't even think about what you have for Thanksgiving. You just sit right down. You, you put faith that it's gonna hold the weight of who you are. So when I look at Jesus, and I look at this from a spiritual aspect, that I'm putting the weight of my life on who Jesus is and his finished work on the cross and the resurrection. I put my, the weight of my life into that. That is the defining thing about my life, is what Jesus has done for me. If you know Hebrew at all, you know that, that Hebrew is not written in, 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 in like words like we have. It's written in pictures. Their words created pictures. So you knew what you were looking at. When they would say a word, it, it drew a picture in your mind. This word in Hebrew, this word faith, if you want to know what it really draws, it's a very intimate picture. It's the picture of a child nursing. That's what that faith picture, when you hear faith, when, 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 when he said that to, to Ahaz, stand in your faith, the picture that would have been drawn in his mind is of a child nursing, of a mom holding that baby and that baby having everything it needs in that moment. 
food, love, care, everything it needs. That's the picture that that word paints. Faith. That baby has no other place it can go, right? No other place. Has this been your experience the past few months? I'll confess, it's not been mine. Man, I've been up and down and all over the place, which means, you know what that tells me? I have a faith issue. I'm struggling with my faith. If I'm up and down and I'm, I'm worried about everything and I'm, I, I can't get my mind off of this or get my mind off of that or, 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 or I'm just worried about this or I'm worried about that, what that's telling me is that I'm not seeing myself as this baby that is being taken care of. Man, that's not the picture that's being drawn in my head. The picture being drawn in my head is like this because I'm missing it. I'm missing it. It's a faith issue. And Christmas is the perfect time to remember that God will do what he says. And if you need to go and look at that, he came. There he is. Christ is the perfect time to remember what, what Christ has done. It's the perfect time to remember the gospel, to remember what has been done for you. If you can trust God for the, the obliteration of your sin, then you can trust him for everything else, Right? If you trust him, do you trust him for that? That Christ came as a baby, Emmanuel, but he came to die. And even though he lived a perfect life and he had no sin, the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. That, that means that Christ should not have had to pay that wage. He did not sin. Yet his life was put on a cross, and it was taken because a holy God cannot just overlook sin. So something had to be done. So we can either all die in our sins, or God can do something to satisfy his holiness along with his love. And so he did that by slaughtering Jesus for me and my sin. Romans 5.8 says that, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I didn't, I didn't do anything to make myself lovely to God. Right? God didn't, I didn't look at me and say, like, Gary's going to be fantastic. I'm going to send my son to die for him. While I was yet a sinner, while I was rotten and filthy, God says, you know what, man, I'm sending my son because I am in love with you. This means that I can place my faith, the weight of my life in Jesus. And that means once I place the weight of my life in Jesus, that I confess my sin and I confess that I've done some wrong, I've done a lot of wrong, and God looks at me and I, I no longer have my life that, 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 that appears before God. But you know whose life I have now? Jesus' life. When he looks at my past, he sees Jesus' past, not mine. That's, that's bananas, man. That like, I don't have to worry about that anymore. That now all of a sudden, when God, when God thinks about me, he thinks about me as if I've lived Jesus's life. That means he's always happy with me. Even when I'm rotten, and I'm rotten a lot. I just told you, I struggle with faith. I struggle with things. Doesn't change my state with God, man. He overlooks all of that, it's the word that, that, that Paul uses is justification. That means he has no record of any wrong that I've ever done whatsoever, none. 
I'm justified. Justified is a bigger deal than being forgiven, right? Forgiven means I admit that I've done something and you say, okay, I'm not gonna hold that against you. I'm not gonna take revenge on your life. I'm not gonna hold that against you. Justification means I never did it at all. So no record of my sin whatsoever exists in the mind of God. Romans 8.1 says this, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, none. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is worth thinking about this Christmas season, that this little baby that came did that for my life. That Ahaz had that presented to them in this child that would be born. And he just cast it off to go, to go put his alliances with a nation that wanted to kill him anyway. But you and I do that with sin every day. We align ourselves with stuff we should not align ourselves with. And we shirk God every day. At the end of the day, we're no better than Ahaz. I am no better than Ahaz. The only thing that would make me better is that I placed my faith in Jesus. The last point, here we go, we're done. I'm going to read you this point and I'm going to pray. When we are faced with an uncertain future, we could fully expect Jesus to fulfill his promise of salvation. That's not going anywhere. This is what Christmas is about. This is what we were waiting on. It's here. It's here. So, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's a great season to think about what Christ has done. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your son. So grateful for what he's done for my life. So grateful for what he's done for, I hope, every person in this room. I hope that, man. I, I pray that every person in, their, in this room has heard the gospel. They've responded to the gospel. They put the weight of who they are in Jesus and nothing else. The finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection showing that death is the one that died that day, not Jesus. I hope they put the weight of their life in that. I pray that you'll help us now, Lord. Help us to be, uh, to be faithful, to be full of faith this season. This Christmas season gives us a wonderful opportunity to look at where we're at, and especially how we're handling uh, the struggles that we're seeing on the news, around our world, and what we're putting our life in. Help us. We don't want to be like Ahaz. It cost him dearly, not just in honor in this life, but he was separated from you. And it was his own doing. And I pray, Father, there's nobody in this room that takes that route. I pray that everybody in this room throws themselves on the mercy of God, that you are a good God that loved us so much that you would slaughter your firstborn, your only son, for me for them. Let them see that, Lord. We love you. Thank you for all that you are in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.